Okay, guys, let's settle down. Hello. Hi, my name is Murray. I'm a compulsive overeater. Welcome to the workshop, the 100-pound emphasis workshop. I'm the moderator for this section. session. Please join me in a moment of uh, silent meditation followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will now read our anonymity statement in the sixth tradition. Anonymity statement. To those of you who might be here representing the print or television media, please help us preserve our, the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. We ask in your reporting on OA that you use only first names or synonyms indicated as such of OA members and that you obscure the faces of those who identify themselves as OA members. The sixth tradition states, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Let's see, guys. The format of this session is to have our three speakers share for 20 minutes their experience, strength, and hope on, on a topic, on this topic, followed by open pitches. Now, this is a one and a quarter hour meeting, so after they're done, we'll have open pitches. And uh, Anita, who's going to go first? Yay! Hi, my name is Anita. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, I came in, let me qualify, I came in in May of 1999. Um, I came in at 325 pounds. Um, today, I, as of this morning, or yesterday morning before I left home, okay, well, here's what you need to know. In our family, there are, in our household, there are two recovering compulsive overeaters, which means there are two bathroom scales. So, on, on her bathroom scale, it says I weigh 186. On mine, which are the white, uh, the white, uh, the black scales, it says I weigh 180. So hello, okay, but, but for anybody listening to this on tape, I look about 171, so I, I have five years of abstinence since I came in, abstinence being, being defined not by me, but by the OA literature, which says it's to refrain from the action of compulsive eating, not compulsive overeating, but compulsive eating. Uh, which means, am I eating my lunch an hour early because my body really is hungry or because somebody ticked me off? And uh, so I'm, uh, that's what I'm working on. I have some pictures, and if a couple people would mind handing the picture books out and getting those started, but I want to show everybody to have a picture to see before I start. So here you go. There I am. And um, I'm, if I'm not compulsive about one thing, I'm compulsive about <laughs> It's a very large picture. Um, I am always humbled to share at a century meeting. 
Um, and what I'm going to share, again, I, I know I don't need to remind you, but this is my story and this is me. This is not the program of OA, so please bear that in mind. We all share the same disease if we're in these rooms. We've come here because we're compulsive overeaters and we need help. Um, but the disease that we have manifests itself differently. And so we have bulimia, we have anorexia, we have people who look a normal weight but are obsessed by food, and we have sensory people and everybody else in between. And every manifestation of this disease that we have comes with its own unique torment, for a better word. And that's why the bulimic knows the bulimic, and the anorexic knows the anorexic. And the century person knows the century person and what they're going through. And that's why, that's why um, when I came into the rooms, I got a sponsor who was a century person. A person who had only 35 pounds to, to, had, to lose, they had plenty to offer me, but I needed it to come from a century person. And it is why the sponsees that I've had have primarily been century people because I know them even before we meet and have much of a conversation because there are things we share in common. We know things that other people don't know as century people. We know what it's like to be afraid that it's finally happened. We've outgrown every single clothing they make in the stores. We know what it's like to be afraid to go into a store we've never been because they might have a turnstile we don't fit through. We know what it's like to go to a restaurant and have them slide us in at a booth and for God's sake, we can't even breathe in the booth, but our pride won't let us leave. Um, we know what it's like. I know what it's like to break a chair, to get on an airplane and have the person try as gracefully as possible, possible but still humiliate me to ask me if I would like an extension. No, I'd rather this one just cut my flesh, please. Um, and to pant after one flight of stairs, but not to want anybody to know that I was panting, and so I tried to talk normally. Some of us who are women know what it's like, even when we're not expecting a child to have somebody say, when is that baby due? We know tens of thousands of humiliating moments between us, but... When I was thinking about what was the most humiliating thing for me, the one that I came up with was the one that I faced every single day of my life, and that is this. Every single day of my life, I got up and went out into the light of day, and my body betrayed me to every single person I met. My body was like a neon sign over my head that said, my life is screwed up. This girl has a problem. I don't have it all together. I'm miserable. And I tried every way I knew to, to cover it up. I'd go to friends' houses and I'd sit with three pillows on my lap, you know, as if now they're not going to see that I have a bit of a weight problem. Um, I'd dress in black. Well, that, you know, that took off five pounds. <laughs> um, I would distract people with my humor, you know. If I'm funny enough, they won't notice that my pants aren't zipped up, but they're open and I just have my sweatshirt covering them because there are no pants anymore that fit me. Um, I, 
I did people-pleasing because if I do enough good things for you, you're not going to care how I look. You're just going to be happy for what you're getting from me. And so I tried all those things, and absolutely nothing I came up with worked. And in trying to think of one story, and there are so many, we all have them, that kind of typified my life before program, it would be what you see in this picture. And that is, I had gone to the San Juan Islands the summer before I came into program on a sailing trip. And um, the sailing trip was full. I went with uh, six friends on a fairly small boat. And I don't know if you've ever been on a sailing boat, but their bathrooms are smaller than what you find on an airplane. And if you're a century person, I do not need to tell you anymore. And if you're not a century person, use your imagination, and you're not even close. But it was miserable. And I couldn't get into the little dinghy if we'd go to some, some places. There was a little dinghy I'd have to get into. And the other five or six people would get on the far side with terror in their eyes as I was, you know, as I was boarding. And this one day, this so typifies my life before program. The day was phenomenal. Blue sky, cool breeze, snow-covered peaks in the distance, the water cool, blue, smooth like glass, and all around us, and I am not exaggerating, were a, I guess it's called a pod of orca wells, as far as that back wall to me, and they were swimming all around us, and they were coming up and making their great noises and spraying, and it was amazing, and I was down in the galley while everyone was distracted eating fistfuls of potato chips. Because I had to get my food while nobody was looking because I didn't want them to know that this happened because I overate, you know. And so I missed out on this experience. Now I'm feeding a deer in this photograph that I show, an apple by hand, a wild deer. But I don't remember that moment. I only remember it because I have a picture of it. But I would never have been able to tell you I ever fed a deer by hand on the San Juan Islands because... It was all a blur for me, and that's how so much of my life was. When I, when I came into the rooms the first time, I didn't know it, but when I came in in May of 1999, that was the first step for me. Because when I came in, I came in having tried everything, and nothing had worked. I had been on every diet and in every diet club, and if you want to challenge that fact, meet me after the meeting. Throw me a name, throw me a company, throw me a plan, and, and, and we'll see, note for note. You know, we're all, I'm, I'm not special on that one. And uh, I came in like a poor person with my pockets, turned out. I had nothing. I was at the end for me. And just to kind of give you an idea what my diets looked like, I went to Weight Watchers the first time when I was like in fourth grade. And during that first, or sixth grade, during that first week on Weight Watchers, I gained four pounds because every night I ate a pound of saltwater taffy. My sister was selling it for some project, and, and she made $7 from me. And, <laughs> so, and then when I went to weigh in, and the woman said, oh, my goodness, you know, little, little girl, how'd you do this? You know, because they always think you should lose 10 pounds, especially when you're young, that first week following the plan. I said, oh, I don't know. She said, well, did you eat anything that wasn't on the program? I said, no. And she said, well, how, you know, did you eat, what did you eat of the free foods? Because that used to be a pretty tight program, not with the things that you can do now. And, 
And I said, well, I, I, I knew pickles contained salt, and that was water retention. I knew this at sixth grade. Scary. And I said, well, I had pickles. Pickles I can have, right? And she said, yes, but how many did you have? And I said, two jars. <laughs> and, and she said, well, that's it. That was it. So that was my first diet. And, and my last diet was a program that was sponsored at a hospital where I gave them a heck of a lot of money, and I would go once a week to hear how to eat nutritionally as if I didn't know. And I would go, and during that week, every night when I was at home, I would eat two pounds of M&Ms. I had them for a thing, I, event I was doing, and I just kept eating them for me and then going out and buying more for the project, which ended up being more for me. And so in my last week of dieting, I ate 14 pounds of peanut M&Ms, and th that was not like all I ate in the evening, but that was, you know, that was one of the things that I ate during the night. So when I came into OA, which <laughs> my first meeting happened to be in the Mexican restaurant where in the back room, fortunately before the smells of the day had started up, um, I, I went in there and I had binged in that restaurant so many times, but I knew I was home. I knew it was the place I needed to be. And I, like I said, I came in with my pockets empty, and I left so wealthy, even though I didn't realize it at that time. But when I left, I left with a fistful of phone numbers from people in that room. I left with eight tools. I left with 12 steps. And I left with a loving and compassionate higher power who was absolutely concerned, which surprised me. I'd always had a higher power, but this that my higher power, he, she, or spirit, cared about my food. I never had believed it. And so I came to understand that. And those are the things, you know, long story short, those are the things that I still have that I got at my first meeting. And I, you know, I could talk about all of the tools and all of the steps because I can't live without a single one of them. Um, the tools, though, for me are kind of like the tools I have at my house. If I'm going to get a tool, usually it's going to be the hammer or the screwdriver, even if I probably should use something else. I know a hammer and I know a screwdriver, so if it doesn't work with one of those two, it doesn't need to be fixed. So, so I tend to go towards some tools more than the other, but the one tool that is critical for me, along with meetings and all of the, all the other stuff, is for me a food plan. I have to have a food plan. I have to know the first bite. I, before I take the first bite, I have to know what my last bite is going to be. And I'm saying that, and I'm not going to say, like, this is my original thought because I heard it like two nights ago at a meeting, but that's why I go to meetings to, to hear what people are saying, and this nailed it for me. He said that the reason he has to know what the last bite is going to be before he takes the first bite is when he takes the first bite, he is then on his drug. He's on his substance of his addiction, and at that point, thought is diminished, cloudy at best. But that's when all of a sudden I'm looking at croutons on a salad and they become a vegetable. You know? It's when I can rationalize going to the grocery store and walk through the aisles when they're doing the samples and think, I, I need to start my lunch early, but this will be part of my lunch. You know? And it's how come all of a sudden four ounces becomes six ounces, becomes eight ounces, you know, and pretty soon it's you know, half a side of beef. And so, I, for me, I have to know, um, and because, and for me, it's also weighed and measured, because I, as a century person, I did not get here on small anything. 
I knew no small or moderate anything, and I'm not sure if I'll ever know moderate if left to my own devices. That's why I have to use the scales. So, and, I, and you know, I'm, if it sounds like I'm pounding that for you, I'm not. I'm pounding it for me because I don't want to forget, because I do. Sometimes I forget that I need to weigh my food, and that's why I still don't have full recovery, physical recovery after five years, because I start thinking I know, and I put away the kitchen scales and watch the bathroom scales, you know, move up. So thank God for the past, like, four months, it's been on the scales in the, in the kitchen. My life today is amazing. It is amazing. I can't believe that this is my life and that I get a live it. I wake up every morning and this is what I get. And I can't, I can't believe that. Um, and at the same time, I'll tell you, it's darn hard sometimes. Um, my dad just passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, suddenly, unexpectedly, the sweetest man who walked on the planet, we didn't agree on everything, but by God, he loved me and I adored him. But in the midst of my daddy dying, my siblings decided that was going to be the time that they didn't like this thing about me being gay. And so my wife of four years was not, now, if I put it up for group conscience, you know. But uh, apparently they felt they needed to give approval on it. Oh, well. And so, um, my side, my side, my side. Okay. And so, um, <laughs> so... So they decided that that was the time that they were going to tell me that my my partner of uh, five years, who I adore, um, and I would say that even if I knew she wasn't going to listen to this tape later on, um, <laughs> um, could not come with me and hold my hand while my while I was grieving my daddy's death. And it's why the night before we buried my dad, um, my siblings, my one sibling in particular, decided that was the time he was going to go off the deep end and tell me all sorts of horrible things about who he thought I was and what I was doing and that I was a disappointment to the entire family. And, and it went on and on, and it, it wasn't pretty. And it will always be the worst day of my life. However, because I had program, and because I know that program, thank you, because I know that program isn't just about the food, the 12 steps, the principles, are not just about the food. If I just apply them to the food and nothing else, and I let everything else in my life go screwy, then my disease is going to come around the back door and bite me in the butt through something else, through a bad relationship, through a resentment gone amok. Well, basically every resentment has gone amok when I get my hands on it. You know, it's, it's going to get me. And so I have to work it in everything. And so... I worked it at that moment. I had no choice. It was either that or I was going to go into the insanity that was going on around me. And that's what program allows me to do when I'm working it at my best and giving it up to my higher power is it allows me to stay sane in an insane world. And so after a week of being with my family in this situation, I got on the plane and I went home. And as I'm flying on the plane, I did a step 10. I didn't know what else to do. And I did a step 10, and when I was done with the step 10, I, had, I knew that I had absolutely nothing I needed to make an amends for. And if they ever make amends, that's up to them. I love them. You know, the big book says they're sick. They're like a person in a hospital bed. Would I drag them out and slap them up and say, get well now? No, I love them. They're my family. They always will be. You know, but I was able to stay sane. So what I had before programmed to cope 
I had three incredible tools. They were food, very effective, television, which was always on, and my fantasy life. Now, in my fantasy life, you know, I would only admit this in the rooms of OA, but in my fantasy life, I was a hero. I saved bullets flew in, toward children, and I would talk the crazy person down. You know, no, don't do it. Kill me first, but save the children. You know, and, and I would love to tell you I'm just exaggerating, but that was my fantasy life. You know, people were going to know how wonderful I was. And the thing I didn't realize that was when I was escaping to those fantasies and trying to rescue everybody else, I was the one who needed to be rescued. It was me who needed to be saved. And so that's what I had. And, and they were, just so in case you're wondering, these were not coping skills that worked for me. Um, they helped me escape for a moment. But when that moment was over, I came back and things were just as they had been when I left. And so now what I have, and it's that same countdown, it's 12 steps, amazing steps. It's eight tools, practical tools that put the program in my hand and allow me to do something for my life. Same with the 12 steps. And one higher power and a fellowship of people. Now, I'm going to put in one plug for my higher power and then I'm done. Because I know people are looking for a higher power, so if you want mine, I'm willing to share because my higher power is big enough. Um, I, have, I believe, and I call my higher power God, call whatever you will. Um, I believe that God, at every single moment of my life, has always been working at full bore to do the very best possible things for me. My higher power only wants the best and is always working at the maximum wattage, full throttle, passionately, extravagantly for my good. It hasn't changed when I, that didn't change when I came into the program. What changed was that mound of crap that was between me and my higher power. The food that was blocking me from God, certainly, but it was also my self-will. It was my pile of resentments. It was my self-righteousness and arrogance and, you know, go down the list. I, I got a hundred of them. But it was all those things. And the only thing that changed was when I came into OA, I said, none of that is working. I give up. And, and that's what this program is. It's like this picture is the before picture that I'm showing, but there is no after picture. Because there is no after in program. When I hit goal weight from my mouth to God's ears, um, when I hit... <laughs> some gold weight, whatever that might be, I'm still going to be working this program and I'm still going to have a heck of a long way to go. But I've got my higher power, connection with my higher power, and, and now I can receive what my higher power is doing for me. And so know my life, our, our, you know, that fantasy that we all have when we're century people and we've got all that weight on that if I can just lose weight, I'll be happy and everything will be fine. Well, you know, that's a dream that probably should be best crushed now, but... You know, before, before I had nothing to help me deal with the hard things of life, and I really didn't enjoy the joys because I was too numb or too distracted with myself and who I thought I was to really enjoy them. But now, you know, when you have this program, you have these, these, this way to really be in life. And so instead of escaping from life, I get a program that keeps me tethered to life. And I do get to live a life beyond my wildest dreams. And some days, the best I can hope for is just that I get to live a life. 
And from where I've come from, just living a life some days is more than enough. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sandy, and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. I want to take a minute and just look at this beautiful, beautiful room and all of your faces. What a fabulous event we have. I look forward to this all year long. If uh, you'll bear with me, I'm going to do my best to stand. Um, my higher power and his infinite wisdom is choosing to remind me that uh, my disease has given me many gifts non-returnable, non-refundable, and one of them happens to be a bad leg, so I'm going to try because I believe in standing because I couldn't before I got here. I came into my first OA room kicking and screaming on March the 13th of 2001. I did not want to be here. I did not believe you had a single thing that I was interested in until I saw some skinny people. <laughs> then you had what I wanted. And I love that the Northern California area calls me a century person. Doesn't that sound better than a hundred pounder? Hundred pounder, I will never identify as a hundred pounder because I heard a comedian once at the very first OA event I went to say, and we brag about being 100-pounders. Well, you know what? I didn't quite understand that it's important to identify as a 100-pounder or a century person because it truly is a different physical world to be a century person. And I'm going to choose century because... I have hopes that my higher power has things for me to do, and maybe century will mean a hundred years old for me. <laughs> Doesn't that sound cool? Anyway, I got here because I had three strokes. I had sleep apnea. I have bad knees. I have arthritis in my back. And I have a meddlesome, bitchy, manipulative sister. <laughs> who at that time had 11 years in another program, and she knew all the answers for me. After I got in here, I found out that was a little bit like working my inventory before I knew I had one. <laughs> anyway, I guess I'm a pretty visual person. You have to kind of slap me between the eyes. And when I had the strokes at 355 pounds, I had two options. It literally boiled down to my life, death. Now, I'd been choosing death the slow way, and now it was staring me in the face. So, okay, maybe you had something I could use. I knew I didn't need a food plan. I know how to diet. 600 pounds up and down my whole life, minimum. When I diet, I diet very, very well. And the minute the diet was over, I'm going back to normal eating. And I thought the idea that I was insane. 
when I got here. You kept telling me I was. What did that just sound like? Normal eating. I didn't know what that was. I don't know normal eating. I know that I want all of this and six <laughs> dozen of those and a half a gallon of that. So when I quit dieting, two minutes, maybe three at the most, and I started back up. You know? I got here because you were my last chance. You know, you told me when I first came in that you were going to love me till I could love me. Now, I thought that was stupid. I mean, damn it, didn't I prove I loved me? Everything I did was perfect and right, and you were doing it wrong, and I was going to tell you how to do it right. And that same sister who got me here, I couldn't understand why she thought the 12-step program was a good thing. Because for about five years running, she would spend at least three days a week on my couch crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. Now, I didn't understand that crying was a good thing. You know, for me it was, you want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> so, was I ever going to let you see me cry? Oh, my God, no. I also came from that household that says, you don't tell the neighbors what's going on over here. You know, it was that generation. I happen to be an incest survivor. It happens to be part of my past. It happens to be the road I chose to think about for the next 45 years until I got here. I never dawned on me I could make a different choice except to live with that history and that memory and let it cloud everything I did the rest of my life. That was my choice. That was my responsibility to bear when I actually got here and started working the steps. It was now time to quit putting all the blame out there for almost 400 pounds my top weight over here. You know, that's I learned so many things about me. I didn't come here to learn about me. I came in here for you to show me how to get the weight off. And when I would go to meetings, lovely chip meetings, it didn't take long before I found out they weren't talking about the kind of chips I wanted. <laughs> Little plastic thing, you've been 30 days abstinent. whoop de doo you know. <laughs> Give me the chips. Well, when they would go around and say, who has one to five years, who has five to ten, and they got to over 20, and damn, I'm from Southern California, there's a few of those people out there. And they would raise their hands, and there was only one thought that entered my mind. What the hell are you still doing here? You are skinny. You know, I came here for you to fix me. That's truly what I came here for. I was going to fight you every inch of the way if you told me to do something I didn't quite understand or want to do. But it didn't take me long to not live in what it was like. Because you kept saying things that kept getting through. Now, one of the main reasons I didn't come here was because you had that thing called the higher power. And that thing that I call God in my youth and fortunately now I've found him again. But I didn't want anything to do with that thing called the higher power. That thing called the higher power got me to almost 400 pounds. He deserted me when I needed him the most. Well, you know, I love that footprint thing. Because now that I'm here, I know that it's true. When there's only one set of footprints, God was carrying me. And you know, 
as hard as I tried to not get back to that thing called God, it did not matter. I came in here knowing that I had to get a higher power. You told me it was the only way it was going to work. So I picked the ocean. The tides come in, the tides go out, I can't stop them. It must be more powerful than me. Then I started feeling the love in the rooms when I got here. And you became my higher power. And eventually, eventually, I decided to try that thing called God again. Now, at 57, I had built up, oh, a lot of years to perfect this I can handle myself attitude. In your face kind of person. Not shy. I'm sure I had to tell you that, right? You knew I wasn't shy. No. No. Um, I never know what's going to come out of my mouth when I share at a meeting or whatever. i got to tell you, with only a little over three years, I'm kind of experiencing this last year, that reverse ego. After the first year, oh, it's looking cool. I could have told you what that was because that was me. 100-pound weight loss in the first year, I just felt like I had finally arrived. I understood it. I got it. You did have what I wanted, and now I got it. Because I have a sponsor who is not afraid to tell me when Sandy's ego is what's talking, I was not, I did not have to turn into one of those people that I have come to love who has had to leave and go out and do some more research because they know it all. You know, I'd like to tell you I never think I know it all. Not true. Not true. When, when someone in the program says something that, I guess I get the most pissed when somebody says something that I know it's really about me too. You know, when I can recognize what they're talking about because I got it. You know, I don't really go to that, that recognition first that I do have that. But that's when I get the most upset. My first year in program, I showed you a huge amount of emotion. Every bit of it was anger. I didn't know I had any other emotions. None at all. I'm not going into very much information about what it was like because... Your century people, you know. And our first speaker was very eloquent in that area. The only thing I'm going to talk about what it was like was after about a year and a half in program, God had released about 120 pounds. And the only reason I know is because a kind little gal in the doctor's office didn't get the word that I'm the person that weighs backwards for a reason. I mean, you know, I got into program now, and I don't treat Does anybody know how to sing? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, this is if this is going to be on tape and you have no idea what was going on there, well, I kicked something, and since I'm not mechanically inclined, I didn't even know what happened. 
And since I speak loud enough, I didn't even know you couldn't hear me in the microphone anymore. Oh, my. I've never had you guys this close in a long time. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. This is kind of drooping. Barbara told me this was a sex pump before she left. Most people didn't pay any attention to it. You know, I should really clear that up. I've been married 42 years. And I got a husband who, <laughs> I don't know how to tell you, but his wife has been married to me for 42 years. He stayed. I did everything I could to change him. Another thing this lovely disease has been able to give me, and that's the ability to just say whatever the hell I wanted to all those years and never think it was wrong. You know, I, it never entered my mind that maybe what I was saying was hurtful, incorrect. It just truly never entered my mind. I always say that if good intentions and motives were what got you to heaven, I'd have a halo, but I have a feeling that it, it's actually the actions. So I guess we'd have to change that halo to the horns. You know, I, I really wasn't a nice person. I wasn't a nice person. I... Um, I have no idea where I was before I kicked the microphone. So I'm just going to... Well, I beg your pardon? Why I weigh backwards? Because that number is never the one I want. I mean, birth weight might work. I could maybe live with that one. But other than that, if I lose weight, I've never lost enough. And if I don't lose weight, oh, screw this. I don't want to know that either. I'm truly one of these people that before I got here, it didn't take much for me to realize, well, screw this, we'll start over next Monday. Now, when's the first of the year? It's only two months. We can wait that long. You know, I cannot miss at least going to three meetings a week. I've got to do this. Being called the century person reminds me not really where I was, but who I am. When, when people told me that it was, when I heard people say I'm one, by the way, I really didn't totally understand that because I thought it takes more than that to really get into a binge. My thinking is okay. And then I realized I'm rationalizing what somebody else said. That I'll tell you right there, my thinking sucks. I don't, I don't live in a neighborhood you want to visit. I really don't. When my mind tells me what should be done during the day, instead of what the literature and you suggest should be done, it's not going to be a good day. I love the big book. I wish I could say that I read it as much as I would like to read it. And for my memory at age 61, it's not great, and the strokes contributed to that. But there are key things in the big book that I never forget. I can forget I told you 10 minutes ago that I was going to meet you when I could. I won't stay for dinner because I would never forget that. <laughs> but, but you get the drift. I mean, I just don't remember things. And I feel really bad when that has to do with the sponsee because I always think they're going to think I don't care if I can't remember. A little people-pleasing? Never hurt. Excessive people-pleasing? Yeah, I did that a lot. When I wasn't yelling at you, 
I was doing things for you. Thank you. Um, what my day is like on a daily basis now is that God and I start the day in the morning together. God enters every room before I do. God decides what he's going to say before you tell me it's my turn to stand up here. And we hope God is stronger than my voices about what actually comes out. Because I believe that ego is not such a little word. I believe it played a huge part in my life and still does on a daily basis. I went into a comparison um, mode after about two, little over two and a half years in program where I was less than all of you at every meeting I went to. Having the advantage of being in L.A. with a lot of long-time abstinence is very good when you're learning and when you're just soaking everything up. But when I got to two and a half years and I looked at my physical recovery or the lack thereof, I went totally to reverse ego. And I wasn't worth shit. You know, and I, nobody was comparing me but me. Nobody but me. But I really didn't understand. I've been doing a lot of things with my food plan in the last six months. And it's all been good things. And no matter what I do, the weight's not coming off. And I started going to those old places that my brain used to take me in quiet when you weren't around to see that I really did have feelings. I started going to that place that says you're denying. If you weighed and measured, you'd know that it was okay. You don't really know. And you know what? It's not true. A kind person two weeks ago happened to hear me talking about some medication that I've been taking. For a year and a half I've been taking it. And my weight loss stopped when I first started taking it. And my uncomfortableness in my clothes started when the doctor doubled it. And until she said something, it never went to enter my mind to make that connection. That there might have something to do with my medication. You know, well, since I still have that diseased brain, I jumped for joy mentally when I heard that because now the blame's all off me. <laughs> but you know what? I can't be sure of that. But all I can be sure of is that this problem I have going on in the nerves in my left leg, my neurologist has said, can't find anything, just triple your medication. Pop a little Vicodin when the pain's too bad. Well, you've taught me that that's not the answer. I popped a little food when the pain was too bad for 57 years. That was not a good thing for me to do for my sanity, for my health, and for my family. So I'm getting a second opinion. You taught me how to do that without calling my first doctor an idiot. You know, and I appreciate the fact that this convention and every convention and every OA meeting and every room that I go to exists because without you I'm dead. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak. Thank you, Sandy. It's now my pleasure to introduce Jerry from Santa Barbara. I'm Jerry. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. And uh, something's running this mic on. 
Reminds me of something that I want to know. They said we were supposed to talk about sex. I, uh, it keeps falling on me. Ah, uh, well, let's see. I, uh, I don't know what I'm going to say, except I do know this is a hundred pound emphasis meeting. And, um, so I'll do the statistics. I, um, came into OA uh, coming up uh, now in two more weeks in August 8th. Well, for the people that are uh, not seeing anything, we're having some problems putting the microphone up there. And now it's holding still. Okay. Don't touch it, she tells me. Little innuendo. So I come into Overeaters Anonymous on August 8th, and that's going to be in two more weeks, and uh, 1972. So coming up uh, two more weeks will be 32 years. Yeah. And it's not just 32 years, you know, of being present. It's 32 years of coming back steadily to meetings. Didn't take any breaks. Didn't take any, um, you know, little vacations. And I don't believe that there is a vacation from the disease of compulsive overeating at all. And um, I would like to say that it's also almost 32 years of uh, sticking to my food plan. But that would be a bold-faced lie. I, um, I I was born on the Lower East Side in New York City, and actually tomorrow I'm taken off uh, from here. I'm going into Manhattan for about three weeks, and I'm going to stay with a sponsee and uh, actually just be a tourist and go to some Broadway shows and uh, enjoy my uh, OA uh, anniversary in New York City, where, where I started off. Actually, in Long Island is where I started, but um, I was the youngest of three children, and uh, I always felt as though I, I got the short end of the stick at the dinner table. You know, when the, when the food went around, uh, my brothers and my father and mom would, you know, grab all the platters and take food. And I always felt like, gee, they picked more than me. And I always started comparing. And Dad would, would get angry about it. And then at night, I'd go to the refrigerator and... You know, just start pulling food out of the refrigerator. And then the next morning, you know, my oldest brother would beat the crap out of me because I ate a lot of the food for the next day that they were supposed to have. But, you know, in my household, my, my dad was a, a pretty low-bottom alcoholic. And uh, I remember times when uh, on Saturday night, Sunday morning, my father worked in the... Uh, in the Alcohol. He was a bartender and a waiter and a, and a fancy nightclub on on the Bowery in, in New York City. And um, he would come home and, you know, he'd uh, be drinking all night at his job and then drink when he came home at night. And I used to like, you know, coming out and talking to him in the living room about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. That was about the only time I'd get to see my father. And but there were a lot of times when, you know, he didn't come home at 4 or 5 in the morning. We'd get a knock on the door and they'd tell my mom that uh, he was, uh, my dad was on the floor next to his car. 
and my brother and I, the one who used to beat the crap out of me, they, we'd put him on a blanket and drag him in. Sometimes in the snow was easier because we could actually slide him and uh, bring him into this little pissy elevator that I lived in the projects uh, on Houston Street and East River Drive. And we'd pull him in and uh, bring him up, and my mother would help. We'd get him into bed. And then he'd, you know, yell at us, you know, later on in the afternoon, you know, that we wrenched his back. And uh, there was always fights, always arguing, a lot of screaming, you know, besides me feeling like that I got, you know, gypped at the dinner table. There would also be a lot of arguing and, oh, my goodness, uh, just all kinds of disputes. And I, I don't remember good times, actually, at the dinner table ever. And uh, I was grateful. I was really grateful to have the food. And uh, I feel if I didn't have the food, I probably, things would have been worse than me being 350 and then 400 pounds. But at a young age, I knew that food worked, you know, and it helped numb me. It helped me forget about life for a while. And, um, but, you know, there was a price to pay. You know, they talk about the rapacious creditor in step one. You know, how uh, incomprehensible demoralization and, and how just food was the master. Food became the master. And then when I wanted to stop, I couldn't. You know, I uh, didn't have a regular life. And uh, being a 100-pounder, in my case, a 200-pounder, and actually now I'm about 100 and 180 pounds. So... That's 220 pounds that I've uh, kept off within about 5 or 10 pounds for the last uh, 10 years, I'd say now. And, you know, I lost a lot of weight in the beginning of OA, and when I first came in in 1972, I lost a lot of weight and put a lot of weight back, back on after I got married in 1980, um, 1979, I got married. Then my son was born in 1984, and hanging around so many women in OA for all those years, I thought that, gee, I had to put weight on, too. You know, they hate a lot of the women that put on weight. Well, I had to follow it. And, but men suffer, too. You know, there should be a, a section that men suffer, too. And, uh, you know, I, I needed to get outside help, and I got some outside help to lose the weight, and I found out, you know, later on that, you know, they, you could staple your stomach, but they can't staple your head. You know, there's a lot of wonderful uh, quick fixes nowadays out there. There's all kinds of carbo, uh, carbo programs and, you know, the Atkins. And, the, and there's wonderful things out there that really work, you know, and uh, eating disorder units and surgeries. And, and they're all good. You know, they say uh, that science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so as yet. That was also written in 1938, I think, 1935, somewhere between 1935 and 1940. Uh, I think that's what the doctor's opinion. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So, yeah, they have done wonderful things, but there's nothing that is so that I could think of that would take care of the emotional and the spiritual part that I could ever think about leaving OA. Plus, coming back to OA... And I'm going to say 32 years. I'm not going to go anywhere as I know in the next two weeks. So, so I, I feel as though, you know, OA has, you know, given me a life and, you know, it, 
It's been a fantastic journey these last 32 years. Um, so by age of 16, my father died, and I was up to 350 pounds at that time. And I do remember one part where, you know, I used to love baseball games, and I would like watch baseball a lot, and didn't get out too much because I, I literally, uh, you know, ate my way out of life, you know. And I say that I, I hit my bottom when I couldn't reach my bottom. And, uh, you know, anyone that knows what it's like to be able to get off the toilet and not be able to clean myself, you know, it sounds, you know, you know like a little funny pun when I say I, I reached my bottom when I couldn't reach my bottom knows exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, we went to a ball game, my dad and I. We went to a Yankee game, and, and there was so many broken promises being, you know, the son of an alcoholic. And my father would say things, but, you know, he did take me to a ball game, and we went, and by the seventh inning, I got up to stretch, and I felt something wet. I, I, I thought I urinated, but what it was, my, my thighs were bleeding, because I was plotting around so much in the seat and I was so uncomfortable with the, uh, they didn't have stadium seating, they had the, uh, the, the rails, you know, the, the, the chair arms. And the iron chair arms that just rubbed against my thighs and I got up and bleeding and we had to leave the game before it was over and my dad had a bunch of beers that he drank so he was drunk and and we're at the subway station, and uh, I, I asked my father for some money so I could buy a pastrami sandwich. And he says, look at you. Look how fat you are. Look look, look at you. you. You ate so much, and we had to leave because how fat you are. And now you want to eat again. And uh, I didn't say anything. And he gave me some money. I bought the pastrami sandwich and sat down, and, and we, we came home, and you know, life just went on. And he died a few weeks later, actually. And I uh, took some alcohol from the bottom of his cabinet, along with some diet pills. One of the doctors that I had tried had some diet pills left over and woke up in Bellevue Hospital. My mother saying, you know, the neighbors are really going to start talking a lot. They, they had to take you out on a gurney, and Mrs. So-and-so saw you. And here I am, I'm feeling like, my God, all I could do is... Uh, you know, want to die, and my mother's more concerned about what the neighbors are going to think rather than, you know, her son trying to kill himself. And life went on, and I was eating donuts like they were potato chips, and I didn't really care, you know, and I wound up, uh, like 19, 20 years old, I wound up getting a job in a nursing home and answering phones, and uh, eventually I, I was a very good employee because I had no other life, and uh, so... Well, you're very creative there. <laughs> we had somebody just take the mic up so it doesn't fall to me. So I think maybe if I exaggerate or lie a little bit, this thing starts moving. So. <laughs> so now you'll, you'll keep me from, uh, keep me on the straight and narrow here. And I was a great employee, and, and I got promoted uh, into the purchasing department, and uh, I was filing purchase orders in this nursing home. And then a year later, the purchasing agent left, and I, I got the job as the purchasing agent, took some courses at CW Post College, and went back to school and, and got a degree in hospital administration, actually, and became a hospital administrator and um, moved out to Long Island where... Uh, 
I, I really got a job. Well, I was actually a full-time hospital administrator there, and um, it was for a much smaller hospital in the nursing home. And you know, I would hire and fire doctors and nurses, and you know, it was a really responsible job. And I remember the board of directors called me in and said that I don't give the look of professionalism. You know, I would come in a lot of times not shaven, and there were a lot of times I, you know, didn't have real nice clothing like other department heads had. And uh, they said, you know, we're really sorry, that, but if you don't change things, we're going to have to let you go. And I think today there's laws against that, but back then it was, it was okay, you know. And they said the, the nurse is going to, the public health nurse is going to weigh you, and uh, we'll, we'll check your progress. And, and they couldn't weigh me, actually. And uh, I remember at home, I used to have to go on two bathroom scales, but I didn't tell them that trick. And it actually worked. Two bathroom scales, you know, you could uh, actually add the two up. And I had my mother, you know, do it to check, and it, it was right. And uh, But I didn't tell them that. I said, well, I think it would be very degrading to weigh me on the receiving scale in the receiving department. I don't want to do that. And they said, well, you know, we'll just monitor your progress. So I went out to the big and tall men's shop on uh, 8th Avenue, and... 20, well, whatever, and, and I bought a pair of pants that were two sizes too big. And when I saw the public health nurse, I said, look, look what I am, look how much weight I'm losing. And, and it worked. They believed me that, you know, my pants are getting bigger on me. And uh, they forgot. You know, they forgot about it. They said, oh, he's making some progress, and I would buy pants that were bigger each time, and I'd put more weight on it, buy bigger pants, and... And uh, I, actually, my highest uh, waist was a 66, 66-inch waist. I'm only five foot four, and I, I could hardly walk. I had to, you know, eventually have a sleep apnea machine and help me sleep at night. And, oh, do I begin to tell you how miserable life was? And uh, one of the department heads, Mary Ellen, that was a respiratory therapist, told me about this diet doctor in Great Neck whose prescription for losing weight was a rolling pin and a jump rope. And uh, it was a $300 office visit. And back in 19, ooh, 1970, that's a lot of money. You know, he's got a rolling pin and a jump rope, and he tore off a piece of paper from a sheet of 100 and said, here, you follow this. And there was no miracle diet that he put me on, but uh, this thing about the rolling pin and the jump rope was very interesting. The rolling pin, now listen to this. This makes sense, guys. You roll the weight off. You roll off the fat. You work on your arms. You work on your legs and your side, And it breaks up the molecules. And to this day, I blame my carpal tunnel syndrome. And, uh, and the jump rope was, you know, you, you jump rope, and each day you increase it by one jump. And I figured, with all the weight i got to lose, I'd be doing 50,000 jumps a day. And she says, you know what? Maybe that isn't so good after all. My daughter found another program. It's called Think Thin. If you think you're thin, it works where you, you think. Think, think, think you're thin and think you're thin. It's going to work. And also, what you do is you eat a lot of meat. You can eat all the beef you want, as long as you have an appropriate amount of salad to go along with it. And I said, oh, that, that sounds good. But with all the meat, I like to eat. Well, that's a poet. You know, I don't know it. With all the meat that you eat, I'd have to figure, I'd have to have about 8 to 12 heads of lettuce there to, to equal out. I said, ah, that's not good. I don't even like to order sandwiches with lettuce and tomato on it. 
So that didn't work either, and she said, and I thought Mary Ellen was, you know, having a hots for me, you know, I, mean, I didn't have any girlfriends, and well, she was, you know, she was just a caring individual who wanted me to, you know, feel better and look better, and she says, you know what, I have one more thing I want you to try, and she says, my daughter's going to Overeaters Anonymous, I said, the name sounds funny, Mary Ellen, I, I don't even like the name of this, and to tell you the truth, the rolling pin, the jump rope, the thinking I'm thin, and I didn't get thin, I said, this doesn't sound good. She says, trust me. I moved, trust me. No, it didn't sound good either. I get to my first meeting, and this big guy rushes over to me, and, you know, a tall guy, maybe about Murray's size. And, and I got scared. I says, wait, I'm not even gay, and why is he running toward me like this? <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> if you ever watch Seinfeld. And... I, I didn't get a good feeling from this, but I do remember Tony, the mailman, was the speaker, and he was on a stage at this Mineola Long Island meeting, and he was a post office worker, and he talked about how he was able to walk around this route anymore without having to pay other people to do it for him, and, you know, he took off over 150, 200 pounds, which I figured I needed to lose also, and I started listening to what they were saying, but I didn't like the whole idea of sponsorship. I thought you had to, you know, have somebody like Oscar Meyer to, to, to give you money to, you know, to sponsor you to do this. I didn't understand what sponsorship was. And, you know, giving away your food, you know, I figured if I give away my food, you know, they're going to, you know, gain weight and I'll lose weight because I'm, I, I, I literally thought you give your food away. And uh, the writing, I didn't like to write. Reading, well, I like us to look at the stock reports. And, you know, I don't like to read that much, you know, as long as it's business stuff. And, you know. and inventory, I knew a lot about that because I knew a lot about purchasing and inventories. And I, Again, you know, I, I, I fooled around a lot in the beginning. And it was the Westminster program back then in 1972 in Long Island and it made this California how and this fatty anonymous thing that they have now you know with these strict uh, food plans they had back then it, it, it made that look like a binge <laughs> compared to what, what they gave me to eat and I remember about after losing about uh, 150 pounds they said that you know that they're introducing some new thing to this gray sheet now and you were able to have wheat germ, and I got so excited. <laughs> wheat germ! Oh, man, and people were losing weight. One guy was losing an arm, another person lost a leg, and people were losing body parts like, like crazy. And I didn't even know what wheat germ was. And somebody said, they give it to birds. I said, yeah, you know, I was eating like a bird and shitting like a horse. I'll tell you, unbelievable. And I'll tell you, I've come back to OA no matter what, no matter what's happened, no matter what diet program, orange sheet, gray sheet, blue sheet, who gives a sheet? You know, I have had to look beyond the diet program and look at the spirituality and the emotional. But I'll tell you, I didn't come into OA to be a spiritual giant or an emotional guru. I came in to lose weight. And I'm so grateful. I was on the... Uh, at World Service uh, for the um, uh, Dignity of Choice, and I was one of the people that took instructions from my, uh, from my uh, inner group to actually vote for the Dignity of Choice. And I believe that we went from one extreme to another, not caring, you know, going diet programs only to, 
you know, no diet, you know, to something with choice. And Roseanne said to me, you know, they have a choice to use it or to not use it. That's the dignity of choice. And I spoke a lot about what it was like, and I could keep going on. I didn't get into too much about, you know, what it's like now, but, you know, I've, I'm in a wonderful relationship, and uh, I have a good relationship with my son. I got divorced about three years ago, and, you know, I was the type of person that could sit in misery for years and not doing anything about it, just like the wait, you know. And OA has given me the... Uh, be able to make responsible decisions on my own behalf. You know, and you guys have taught me that I deserve goodness. I don't just deserve to be thinner. I deserve to feel good. You know, I didn't come into OA just to lose weight. You know, I did in the beginning. But, you know, I, I want the happiness that I saw Tony have at that, at that meeting. And in closing, I want to say that if you ever have a problem... Keep coming back to OA. This this room isn't filled with people, you know, that have, have been... If, if people tell you to have a perfect absence, they're perfectly lying. You know, or a perfect food plan, I should say. This, this is a program of progress, not perfection. And to me, I don't like the stick with the winners. It sounds like the, the elite club or something. I want to win with the stickers, you know. And you guys are the stickers, and thank you for letting me share. selected reading. I've never seen a person grow or change in a constructive way when motivated by guilt, shame, or hate. William Goldberg. If you eat too much, you're a glutton. If you weigh too much, you won't be popular with the boys or girls. Heaping new guilt upon old, I tried to reform myself. I dieted, lost weight. There. Now I look terrific. But for how long? I, and I did like myself and any bit, and I did and did I like myself any better inside? Of all the remedies I tried, only in OA did I feel accepted for what I was, not for what I might become. Only in OA did I feel my problem was nothing to be ashamed of. Only in OA was I able to lose the weight and keep it off, without guilt, without shame, without self-hate. For today, I let no one, including myself, try to shame me into changing something about myself I wish were different. I pray to be relieved of guilt and self-hate, and to accept and like myself exactly as I am. That is where I can begin to change. That's from For Today, page 19. Our, I want to take an opportunity to thank our speakers one more time. Anita, Sandy, and Jerry. Well, it's time for three-minute pitches, and we have time for, like, two pitches. And, and so, um, let's see. Please limit your sharing to three minutes. You can bind your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. All the participants must sign this sheet right here is a release form. And please sign up before you start your pitch. Are there a couple of burning desires? I saw your hand. Oh, okay. 
Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I find that people look at me now and judge me and, as the small person I am, but I've only been at this weight for seven months. Um, I've been following a food plan, it's abstaining from flour and white sugar for a year and a half, and I've released 110 pounds. And it's thanks to this program that I have a life now. Um, a lot of things that were said up here I can relate to. Um, problems getting into bathroom stalls, problems tying my shoes. I couldn't tie my shoes. And I, w I work in an office, so it got real convenient because I could get slip-on shoes. And, and I could wear skirts that had elastic waist. And um, now I'm finding it enjoyable to actually wear suits and wear shoes that I can tie. Um, it's, it's turning out to be a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, my pitch partially is that no matter where you are, this program has something for you. Some of us need structure. I mean, I needed structure, and so I have a food plan that's very structured, and I have a, a sponsor who's very structured, and I have to call her at 6.15 every morning and I have to commit my food every day, and I have to do reading and writing every day, and that's what works for me. Um, there's other people I know that don't have to do that, and that's great, and I really appreciate that this program is open to everybody, that, you know, there's something here for each of us. And, um, and if you're like me, it can give you back a life. I got to go water skiing last weekend, and I'm just, enjoying life and doing things that I haven't done in 10 years and I just appreciate that you're all here and um, that's my pitch. Thanks. Don, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, two and a half years ago, I weighed about 475 pounds, um, and now I am like just a few minutes at, at this weight that I <laughs> need to be at, and uh, it's sort of like a new experience. And um, so, when I started, I had sleep apnea. Um, had to take a shower after I would go to the bathroom because I couldn't clean myself. Uh, the right side of my leg would go numb if I stood for more than 10 minutes at a time. Um, I was angry. I was obsessed. I was fat. I was, yeah, I was miserable. And um, so I, I live in Novato, and that's about 25 miles from San Francisco. I started going to uh, the century meeting in the city just because I needed to see people who had lost over 100 pounds, who had, you know, achieved that miracle. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, I needed to be with my people. And, you know, I needed to see that. Um, almost 250. Yeah, but that's not the real miracle. The miracle is, is that I have a way of life now that involves some spirituality, uh, the tools of the program, some fellowship, a way to live my life that, you know, is involved in taking an inventory every day, um, 
getting in touch with my higher power every day, get, eating three meals and uh, nothing in between every day, and just, you know, living a life that is pretty simple and, you know, pretty easy. And um, I just pray to God that it, it uh, continues. So um, thank you for letting me share. time to close this session. Um, in closing, uh, a couple of things. Um, I really appreciate everything that was said from this podium today, from our speakers, from our pitchers, from the guys, the people that pitched. And I, and I just want to say that um, Overeater Anon- Overeaters Anonymous has given me my life back. When I came back into Overeaters Anonymous about three and a half years ago, I weighed 707 pounds. And, and OA has literally given me a life. And with that, I'd like to thank our speakers one more time. Uh, after a moment of silent meditation, stand and join hands where you are and join me in the serenity prayer. And if we can get our picture books back, that'd be great. <laughs> God, grant His serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom.